Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, Selena. How's it going? It's going. <laughs> nice to be here. <laughs> be in this cyberspace together. I'm so glad to have you here. Selena the Stripper is a sex worker, writer, podcaster, and community organizer. After graduating from MICA in 2015, Faye, and those are your pronouns, right, Faye? Mm-hmm. Faye felt out of place in the elitist world of institutional art. Through stripping, Faye found financial stability and a community of incredibly strong, radically free-thinking artists. Faye is a political commentator for The Doe and hosts the podcast Ho in the Know. Will you spell Ho in the Know for our listeners who tragically may not have heard of this podcast yet? Yeah, it's spelled H-E-A-U-X, Ho in the K-N-E-A-U-X. Can you talk a little bit about that spelling of the word ho? Because I feel like there's a bit of contention around it in online discourse. And I would love, since since you have chosen it as the name of your show, I feel like you yes. are uh, a great authority on the, the difference in spelling from, for example, H-O. Well, for me, I decided on the spelling because uh, I'm Creole, so um, my family is the very mixed combination of people who live in the Louisiana um, area. So mm -hmm. the Creolized spelling is like a French version of like the American version. And then Ho, of course, was created by black women. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's African-American vernacular English. It's not just common English and it does have a specific racial connotations. So it is not a word that is for white women. It's not a word that's for other people. It is a specific word for black women, black femmes to use. Thank you for taking me to school. Thank you for taking us all to school for a moment there. I really appreciate that. I love your podcast so much, and I also really love how you describe it. So I'm going to go ahead and read the description of your podcast because I know for a fact that the majority, if not every single one of my listeners is also going to love to listen to your show if they don't already, which I'm sure many of them do. So... <laughs> Ho in the Know is a podcast about sex work by sex workers for sex workers and our allies. This is in your voice, of course. We tell the stories of hoes forgotten by history and interview current sex workers to create an archive of knowledge about us, our histories, and our working conditions. Ho in the Know is hosted by two Black trans sex workers, Selena and Corey, with additional segments contributed by Teddy the Historian and Clover the Savant. The historical Ho entries are written and edited by Selena and Ari, and you can follow them on Instagram at, again, the spelling is H-E-A-U-X-I-N-T-H-E-K-N-E-A-U-X. 
And where can people follow you online, Selena? Um, you can find me on Instagram at Pretty Boy Girl. I'm kind of in a lot of different things. I have a TikTok uh, at Selena the Strumpet, where <laughs> I actually do the very the micro micro versions of my historical ho segment. Um, and for people who are not familiar, which is probably most people, um, it's my historical segment about hoes throughout history um, from antiquity to actually today. I, I, we do um, bits on even like current horn stars and, and you know, uh, just generally people who you should know about and who history has largely excluded. I highly recommend that people check that out. I really love it. And I, I think that it's really important work to connect historical representation of sex work. You know, the term itself is only a few decades old, right? And to connect it with not only contemporary sex workers, but also you do something very savvy talking about sex work culture, both the culture that is created by sex workers and then the way that it has been appropriated and like all of the complications of that. Like, for example, I know that you were really following the way the sort of the saga of the artist and dancer FKA Twigs appropriating pole dancing. And, you know, she's also been accused of appropriating voguing. I think that if you're going to be interacting with something that is clearly created by sex workers, um, I think that you have a moral imperative to be a vocal ally and co-conspirator. Um, I think that you can't just, you know, perform it for the quote-unquote beauty of the art form or anything like that and divorce it from its, you know, sex work origins, especially right now because we're in this moment and we've been in this moment where we are incredibly marginalized. There's just so much that is going on in the community and we are advocating for our rights and lives louder than ever. Uh, and to purely benefit from the aesthetics of a particular art form that was created by sex workers who are actively oppressed, who are actively fighting for things and who are actively being silenced and mm. to not elevate their voices, not center their voices in discussions about the art form, not contribute money directly to the community in a visible way, um, not promote their causes, not be an actual visible ally. It's just appropriation. And I think that's mm -hmm. that is just harmful. And that was what I ended up calling out FKA Twigs for online. And I never would have expected it to really catch fire the way that it did because I don't know, I was I have a small voice relatively, um, especially whenever I first started it. Um, this was back earlier last year and I had only like a couple thousand followers at that time, but then somehow people heard about it and were reposting it and it was just like, you know, ongoing for about a month of just sex workers and strippers like really hopping on board and being like, yeah, I'm angry too. Like, yeah, this mm. is ridiculous. So it just kind of fomented into this bigger campaign and then it kind of, you know, expanded beyond there whenever Bella Thorne joined OnlyFans. Ah, yes. A very similar situation. And it also, if you are like a musical artist or a dance artist like FKA Twigs, or you're a, you know, an like actress, model, performance artist, influencer like Bella Thorne, 
you're also changing the terms of what the aesthetics of those sex worker created performances mean in terms of labor, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, because it's not like, this is not their livelihood. This isn't the, you know, the thing that they, the hill that they will die upon. It's not something that they ha like incur any real stigma from just dipping their toes in for the most part. I mean, I know that they did f face some media backlash, but like in the end, you know, it's, it's other people's lives and real livelihoods. And they're just, you know, they're just participating in a purely superficial aesthetic way that sanitizes what's actually going on and is really divorced from from what it's like on the ground whenever this is what you depend on for your living and to support your children. And, you know, it's just a totally different thing. They have, comp they have like no stakes and we have all of the stakes. <laughs> Dude, that's very well put. And that's the thing. I mean, even if it is technically their livelihood, they're doing labor and, and being compensated for it and it's their career. The, the difference is one of, of social mobility, right? That they can just dabble in this in, in the same way with cultural appropriation that like, I'm thinking about like Madonna or Katy Perry sort of like putting on the Halloween costume of a culture and being like, I'm in my geisha phase. <laughs> and then and then they move on to the cowgirl phase. Yeah. And, you know, and in the meantime, the people who whose culture they were appropriating and like, sort of siphoning the edginess off of even and even that like backlash that you were talking about there's like no such thing as bad publicity for a celebrity on that level yeah, right I mean they can it, put it down they can they can totally just put it down and walk away right and, and like we can't we can't walk away and the thing is like you know uh, twigs for example has like become this icon of pole dance in a way that's like completely taken away a lot of the space for strippers, you know, like, yeah, when was the last time you saw like a write up on the beauty of pole dance that was centered around strippers? And it's just so much less common. And, you know, so often just, you know, painted as like a purely aesthetic thing. And I guess the thing that I found with a lot of these articles is it's like, well, what's your favorite shoes to dance in? Or like, you know, uh, what's your favorite move? What do you call that move? But it's <laughs> my friends and I were like, you know, my favorite shoes are the ones that pay my bills. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> my favorite move is the one that brings me the most customers because <laughs> I need to make this money. Like, it's just... It's a completely yeah, different absolutely. experience. Um, and, you know, it, it just makes this narrative where, you know, what we all of our concepts around stripping have been totally hijacked by pole dancers, you mm -hmm, know, by the mm -hmm. pole dance community. And even the pole dancers have mounted campaigns like the hashtag not a stripper, which oh, is God. Yeah, perhaps the most the bizarre one. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, what are you talking about? What do you think you're doing? <laughs> they're really telling on themselves. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's like they're, 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 they're explicitly saying, we want to make sure that you know that when we do it, it's different. And we can still, that, that we, and it is, it is a flex of power, right? It is saying like, we can take this thing from you and do it and not be seen as tainted. And mm -hmm. how we're going to do that is we're going to, like under underscore 
make sure that you know that we know that that icky thing is different. The icky thing, the icky place that we like went to to like grab this shiny thing and bring it back and like transform it as a lark. Like we want you to know that we feel totally separate from that and that we're, or we're like purifying it somehow by bringing it into our space. Yeah. And um, that's just, it, you know, first of all, I mean, I say this on the show all the time. I say it in my work all the time. First of all, that just doesn't work. So even if it did work, it would be, it would be <laughs> like, if you, if you could actually protect yourself from stigma by separating yourselves by throwing people under the bus by like, like recognizing the people who are more marginalized and vulnerable than you and like distancing yourselves from them. Okay, well, you would still be shitty, but it actually never does work because that stigma is always going to bite you in the ass eventually. Yeah. And, um, and then from like what it means to be a, a good person perspective, it's also <laughs> like, don't do that to people. Like don't live your lives. And especially when it does have to do with art, don't, make life worse for other people in order to have the illusion that you are making your life easier. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there is just like this casual, you know, interaction with these things. Um, and they people just don't think that it has repercussions. They really don't even consider that, um, that they could be hurting people, that they could be taking mm. up space, that you know, they may, that the thing that they consider to be purely aesthetic might have deep and political meanings. It's just, you know, it's, it's just purely something that's playful or like, wouldn't it be crazy if I just like made an OnlyFans? <laughs> like, how wild would that be? Well, absolutely. And that, that is part of why your work is so important. There is such a, sadly such a small amount of historical archival work being done around sex work history and art and aesthetics and community building and um uh there's more and more all the time and i'm very happy about that and i i just really feel like that is the work that you're doing and uh, what you just described is the reason that it's so vital so thank you <laughs> thank you i hope that i hope that it reaches people you know um it's it's really hard um, to create something that has visibility and legs. Um, I think especially media that is specifically about sex work and for our community, um, especially because of all of the internet laws right now, um, you know, governing freedom of speech, governing um, what you're allowed to post. I mean, even Google, for example, has completely uh, cut down on people's abilities to place ads for sugaring. Like you can't even, hmm. you can't post about intergenerational relationships with gifts or any phrasing around that. Like all of the sugar baby language has been banned from visible ads uh, with Google ads. So, oh my God. Fuck yeah. That. So it's like, you know, uh, there are so many different reasons why it's been kind of hard to get the visibility that, um, you know, that I feel like this topic deserves. But, um, you know, hopefully there will be a change. As if intergenerational relationships with gifts are now, thanks to Google, no longer a part of American culture. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Google. <laughs> but really like, cut that off. That's such a, a good example of the ways that 
that puritanical and paternalistic white knighting only alienates the more marginalized person from having access to resources, right? Like, Mm -hmm. those ads are the ways that sex workers can represent themselves, ask for what they want, screen for what they want, navigate boundaries and communicate online. And the way that we can be solo agents, you know? Like, rather than having to go through third-party agencies that take a cut of everything and monitor everything and, you know, find ways to, like, just cut cut corners and take a little little bit here and there of all of our earnings like you know we had the potential with the internet become to become like our own agents you know i I mean yeah perhaps you could (laughs) we become our own pimps to like be a little bit lowbrow about it but like really you know pimps were about your security about um you know setting up location and setting aside like particular clients like negotiating all of the business end of the enterprise and convincing you that you that you needed them yeah you you know just like in any other field management convinces you that you need them in order to practice your craft or to do your labor yeah and it's like we do need those tools you know like we we do need a place to find and vet customers we do need security we do need, you know, some economic protections and all of that. And like, the and internet. sometimes working with a manager is really great. So and it can be you great. Can it can be work great. on your craft or work, just focus on your labor and have somebody else take care of everything. But like cutting people off from the option of being able to, as you say, be their own agents is, it's not making anybody safer. No, not at all. It's definitely, you know, like, we're all very industrious people. I think to be a sex worker, you have to be incredibly industrious and wear so many hats. Um, and just because of the the overall censorship and internet crackdowns in the wake of SESTA-FOSTA and all of the other things that are popping up right now, like the CECIA Act and everything, mm-hmm. um, they're rendering us helpless, you know? Like they're taking away our abilities to help ourselves and we had elaborate systems to help ourselves. Yes. Well, thank you for speaking to that. And, you know, the topic of sugaring and the difference between what sugaring was like for you when you were starting out versus what stripping was like for you when you were starting out, having to do with community and sharing resources and education is what you talk about in your intro, in your in your foreword to this book that I'm holding in my hands, We Too, Essays on Sex Work and Survival, which I'm doing a little series on, on yes. why are people into that? Because the book is coming out February 9th, officially. That is this week, 2021. Yes. And it's edited by Natalie West, and I uh, associate edited this book, and I am... So happy that it is finally seeing the light of day. And I'm so happy that you wrote the foreword. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about your piece and, uh, and you know, why you decided to write about what you decided to write about, why you decided to, to frame the personal stories that you tell with your take on the book in your foreword. I chose to write about my experiences diving into sex work with and then 
or sorry, without and then with the community, um, without real knowledge or understanding of how the industries work, um, really having no understanding of how to be my own agent or how to negotiate for myself or how to know my own boundaries versus going into another, my second uh, sex work experience, um, having a community, having guides, having um, an online archive that I was able to access and learn different tips and tricks about the industry. You know, I think that what's amazing right now is that works like We Too can be out in the world and can be this visible beacon that, you know, like we the sex workers, we're out here, we're, <laughs> we're here, we have all kinds of stories and people who are new to the industry or people who are unfamiliar with it, people who are interested, like they don't have to go to these like salacious you know, accounts and listen to some Joe Rogan interview with some stripper to like, know what it's like, like we can write for ourselves, oh we can, <laughs> we can create yeah, no, our exactly. own knowledge. <laughs> we have our own platforms, like we are really creating this elaborate community and network of knowledge um, for ourselves and, and, you know, for the those who come after us. I mean, the world of sex work is, is just so vastly different um, than whenever I started. Um, because like I, I mentioned in my forward, um, I started alone, essentially. Um, I didn't have any friends that I knew who were, who were trying to sugar date. And I, I also want to preface this by saying that uh, I really don't know if sugar dating even exists. I just think it's like girlfriend experience escorting, to be honest. <laughs> totally, totally. I think a lot of that was like prefaced around this like unicorn idea of like somebody who's able to find a platonic sugar daddy. And it's like, I feel like I've done that to the best of like that one can. And I still don't think it's ever platonic, platonic. <laughs> and I... Yeah. Just, I think it's just escorting at the end of the day and, uh, but just like fancy escorting that people feel a little bit less embarrassed and about and that maybe feels a little bit less tinged with stigma because of that, you know, misconception that there is no sex involved, that there is no sex, sexual touch involved. I feel like it's, it's hard to critique the existence of the sort of the language and the structure of sugar daddy, sugar baby, seeking arrangements, dating, without being critical of how people are figuring out how to make their money, right? I would never want to like shame the whole structure of something if that is the way that people have found their way into doing sex work. And I also, I think self-identification basically trumps everything else, right? So mm -hmm. I'm not going to be up on my high horse and like tell someone you're not a sugar baby you're an escort <laughs> who am I to judge I'm gonna but I will call bullshit on them though <laughs> like as someone totally I've just been sugaring for so long and like I will and I you know it it is what it is like I've done the variety I've done the gamut of it from my my early exploits where I did not understand anything that I talk about in the book to like where I am today where 
I've had multiple people who did not expect, you know, full service sex work with me and were giving me gifts and were giving me allowances and stuff like, but I still think it's escorting. I just, you know, I think it's just one of those sanitizing things that people do to glamorize certain things and rise up on the hierarchy chain. Well, I'm so glad you used the word hierarchy. Uh, it's a term I, we use a lot around here and I... I totally agree. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of struggling to imagine a sugar baby scenario where there isn't some element of either the client or the worker or both using those terms in order to elevate themselves on the hierarchy, thereby distancing themselves from stigma. And I think that the most like insidious part of it is it takes the, the, the structure of the transaction out of the language of clear expectations and negotiation. Now, in any form of sex work, you have to have that that negotiation, and, and there obviously is a place for that in sugaring, but it seems like it is um, more of a trap for... Well, you describe a, a story. It's sort of being a situation where people are like, oh, well, this is... this." this is sugaring so we don't need to talk about that mm -hmm. and then people are bringing their expectations without negotiating or communicating about it and then like somebody is not gonna get what they're after and like that yeah. just seems also like a a time waster at best i mean and a lot of men don't understand what it means to be a sugar daddy they just you know they think of it as like well i just have more money than you know this femme person or whatever this femme mm. presenting person worker or man or boy whatever you know yeah, this person i'm this person i'm attracted to and would like to date so it's like I, i'm gonna flaunt my wealth in a particular way but like the thing that i found whenever i was first getting into you know sugaring and online um sex work is just you know people call themselves sugar daddies and they're not sugar daddies and by that i just mean that they don't understand the transaction they don't understand that it is a consistent transaction they don't understand the like market values for these things um and it's because it's all negotiated on in very individualistic basis it's not like people tend to be sharing their price points unless it's something that's like completely off the wall like you know very expensive rates, you know, like, oh, like mm -hmm. my sugar daddy bought me my own first business. Like, <laughs> it's those <laughs> kinds of brags that are common knowledge rather than like the average rate for this thing for like a price per month is XYZ, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so people just, they don't realize that. And they, th and these men a lot of times think that if I'm paying any money at all, then that makes me a sugar daddy. <laughs> and it definitely does not. Um, yeah. I mean, it doesn't even make you a good escorting client, to be honest. <laughs> Giving the idea the benefit of the doubt, you know, what are what are some of the ways that sugaring might be a good fit either for a worker or a client? My opinion with sugaring is that it's essentially just like long form girlfriend experience. Right. What does a girlfriend do? A girlfriend comes over, a girlfriend provides some kind of 
you know, emotional support and talking, you go on dinner dates or drinking dates, maybe you go out dancing together, maybe you introduce her to your friends, you, you just have the fun of it, and then there's tends to be like a sexual element to it, because, you know, sex is part of any, well, a lot of relationships, excluding asexual relationships. And yeah, don't forget sexless marriages. Sexless marriages, yeah, exactly. It's like an emotional commitment to it and the consistency because you're really like building a relationship. You're building that, you know, that trust and he, over time you get rewarded for it. I mean, you know, like there's also just the glamour of it, the way that it's perceived. Like if you're a man, I mean, although like there's all of this deeply like misogynistic stuff about like oh don't be taken advantage of by some woman who just wants your money <laughs> oh my god as if they're not benefiting from it <laughs> you talk about that in the book too like somebody posting in a sugar daddy ad like i'm not trying to meet somebody who's like just in it for the money and it's like <laughs> what are we doing sir yeah exactly it's like you're branding yourself as like a monetary object like an object of abundance like oh what are you trying to say you're not going to like you know, put your money like where your bluff is, like you're just, you're just fronting, like, <laughs> it's so deeply confusing. I mean, I honestly, it really just like, all of the sugar or all of the, you know, escorting and uh, sex work things like sugaring and escorting, there is really, I would not say a massive difference or benefit to one over the other. I mean, in the end, it's just like, if you're escorting, you want to ideally limit the number of people that you see. One, just because of safety, <laughs> you know, like yeah. uh, safety because of, you know, well, men are scary and they hurt us. <laughs> and uh, to, you know, of course, like STIs, but like kind of to a much lesser degree. Three, uh, cops. You just don't want to yeah. like run into somebody who is an undercover officer or something. I mean, the more people you see, the more you have that risk of, you know, ending up in a bust. So it, you just tend to want to keep the, the circle like relatively small and consistent. Yeah. And also just, you know, so that you're not leaving a huge footprint if you're maybe like still working vanilla jobs and you don't want to be completely out as a sex worker. Um, so, you know, the, the sugaring has the benefit of being, it, of tending to be like a longer term relationship with a high level of trust and consistent money and sometimes like places for raises and places for gifts. You know, I think that the main thing that people really focus on with sugaring is the gifts, but it's just, I mean, for me, I've never understood why I would, why getting a bag is better than getting money directly in my hand that I could do whatever I want with it. <laughs> That's sort of more on the, the giver side. Like if a bag costs... Like 10000 or whatever. Thank you. Okay, so I'm like, how much does a fancy bag cost? I have no fucking <laughs> idea. So like, let's say a fancy bag costs ten grand, right? Mm -hmm. You could give your sugar baby the $10,000 bag and then they would have gotten the bag as they say <laughs> or you can give them ten thousand dollars in cash and then you can invest it or save it <laughs> yeah so the the fantasy inherent in giving the bag is conspicuous a, consumption 
it's well it's certainly conspicuous consumption and like commodity fetishism which by the way is fine if like what you want is to like engage in this relationship and exchange like sexuality emotional labor whatever is happening in your relationship and like get that bag like literally the bag because you've like had your eye on that ten thousand dollar bag or those louboutins or like what the fuck ever like get it like get you know get the boat get the car get the the business bought for you like uh, please like get yours i also think that for the client it gives like an added value like the bag is worth more than the money that you bought it for because it also comes with that like luxury status attached to it mm-hmm. that like somebody if, if you if you hand like an envelope of ten thousand dollars in cash or i guess like a suitcase <laughs> of ten thousand dollars in cash what you should do is buy someone a $10,000 bag and then put $10,000 in the bag. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully you just get the biggest boner of your life. <laughs> so if anybody wants to give me that, yeah, I'm available <laughs> to give you some sugar. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some people do stuff like they do, they do receive like cars and all of that. And that's also like pretty wild to imagine just giving somebody a car. Um, a lot of times those end up being, I've seen it. I've seen it happen. I know those end up t- tending to be like long-term, more or less monogamous relationships, though, um, from what mm. I've seen. But it, it really just depends person a car, to person. A car means monogamy. Yeah, it's like <laughs> the new wedding ring, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay, I'll be honest. I have never been very skilled at getting luxurious gifts from clients, partially because I, I have expensive taste in some things, but like those kinds of items are are not one of them. And I really, again, like have no judgment of people Mm -hmm. who, who want a diamond ring and fancy bag. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like where are your assets? I mean, you know, whatever. Totally. And then, you know, you're like showing people that you're worth it Mm -hmm. and you're showing your, maybe most importantly, you're able to like look at those things every day as you like put your foot in them. And you can also like upsell yourself in other situations, you know, like, oh, I already have the Birkin. So you can see that I'm only going, I'm not going to settle for less than a Birkin. Totally. 100%. And I get that. And I mean, I definitely learned that as a dom, like investing in like expensive fetish clothes that I wasn't really even that interested in, but just so that I could take pictures in them and show clients that I was worth it. And like, that's definitely like a lesson that I learned from that and a valuable one, literally valuable. <laughs> like I, I was never any good at that, but in a way that I've like learned to think about it, that I just kind of like did not maybe because of like how, uh, how I came up in like being, like being anti-capitalist. I think I kind of missed the part in anti-capitalism where if you can like secure something that has a really high, like asset value, like, a diamond ring, for example, then it's like, okay, well, that's your ring. And if you want to sell it to get cash to buy other things, you can. Yeah, I mean, there is that like, you know, resale value of certain things. And, you know, like Birkin bags, they can, you know, become more expensive over time. Um, They appreciate in value. So, you know, there's definitely like st- strategic reasons to opt for like certain luxury items. Um, so I'm definitely not knocking that. I think it's really dope. 
But I think it's just like maybe like you, like you, uh, Tina, but like the anti-capitalist in me is just like, why would I take stuff when I could, you know, eventually like save enough money so I can own a home, <laughs> like something really modest, <laughs> like, you know, there's Yeah. a lot of people who are in sugaring who are much better at being materialistic and better at like having major monetary aspirations or like luxury goods aspirations or lifestyle aspirations. And because they're so focused on like acquiring that le like level of lifestyle, like they often do attain it. And it's like a tot
And so that's like the, the precarity of it, you know, um, yeah. which is why some people are very smart and they have retainers and stuff like that and create contracts. I, I love how like savvy a lot of sex workers are um, with the way that they negotiate their rates and everything. And again, we need the tools and resources and freedoms in order to take those matters into our own hands. Otherwise, we have to default to the original sugar relationship, which is heteronormative marriage. Oh, yes. <laughs> the original sugar. <laughs> right? I mean, it's really, you know, I'm not even being glib. I mean, it's literally the same goddamn institution. Yeah. It's a, well, it's the, same, it's the same principle, but it's an institution. And it's an institution that has this, like, moral, you know, these, like, very powerful voices saying that that is, like, the morally correct way to do this. Mm -hmm. And that it's different. But when you really, like, break it down, it's... It's so similar. Yeah. <laughs> Not that fucking different. Yeah. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're telling people about We Too, Essays on Sex Work and Survival, this new book from Feminist Press with a foreword by you, when you're telling people about it and you're, you know, telling people why they should check it out, what are, what are you leading with? What do you... Why do you think people should buy this book and assign this book and stock this book? Writings, especially published by major publishers like Feminist Press, uh, by sex workers, are just so incredibly valuable and crucial, especially right now. Um, I mean, you, this book is full of all kinds of insights that you just literally would not have, especially if you're a civilian. And if you're not a civilian, if you're if you're a veteran, as we call ourselves, <laughs> then I think it's really, I don't know, I think it's affirming um, and validating to get to read the works of people in your community to, you know, feel like you're part of something um, in an industry that is often pretty lonely, I think. Yeah. Um, because of structural reasons, um, because, you know, a lot of even the, the legal industries like stripping are um, often, you know, they perpetuate like divisive environments and, you know, high competition instead of, you know, really showing how collaborative it can be. I will preface this by saying I have a very lovely strip club that I strip at and I love my club and uh, the people there are super warm and friendly and we have a great sense of a community. But it's not the case everywhere. And I know so many mm. sex workers um, feel very lonely in what they do. Uh, I've come to know this partially just from doing my podcast and interviewing over 70 different sex workers over the time that we've, we've been uh, creating episodes. Um, and just the number of people who say, like, I don't, you know, I didn't have anybody to talk to about this before. Um, I've, I'm out here in, like, rural New Hampshire and it's just mm. me and my partner making this and we're afraid of like what might happen if you know the parents at our kids school find out what we do or i'm a mm. camera in you know 
Massachusetts and I don't know anybody and it's just so great to like be able to talk about this in a way where there aren't judgments just having those places and having a book like we too where you're able to read a bunch of experiences by so many different people such a variety of experiences and voices um, I think it's just it's really affirming and heartwarming and also a great insight for people who just don't have access or knowledge about these things. That is an amazing pitch and I appreciate it so much. And I want to talk to you about 20 million things, but I also want to respect your time. So I am going to let you go. But before I do, will you tell the listeners what you have going on in this bizarre year of 2021 and um, <laughs> what they can look forward to from what you've got cooking? Yeah, you know, there's no rest for the wicked. <laughs> so, there's, there's no rest for the wicked. Uh, so I, <laughs> That's a fact. I've been uh, working pretty hard. Um, I'm now the president of Soldiers of Pole, although we are changing our name to Strippers United. And we are oh, cool. a coalition of strippers and other sex workers and our allies. Um, and we're working to better the labor conditions um, in the strip club and beyond. Um, we're also trying to build a branch called Cameras United uh, for people mm. who are doing all of that online work. So, I mean, we might end up fudging with the name for Cameras because a lot of people are like on OnlyFans do all kinds of different like multimedia work. And it's, it's like camming is maybe not even the term for that for the variety totally. of online sex workers. The point is labor conditions are shit and we need to... <laughs> band together to create changes uh, in our industry. And uh, I think it's also just great to have community. So if you're interested, um, check that out. You can support our work. You can donate um, at soldiersofpole.com. And there's a donate link there, um, which helps us with our work. Um, and yeah, if you want to check out my Patreon, I write every week. Um, I write mostly stories, sometimes essays. Um, and that's on Patreon at the Real Pretty Boy Girl. And uh, yeah, please do check out my podcast, Ho in the Know. It's on all the platforms: Spotify, Apple, uh, Anchor. You know, all of them except for <laughs> Stitcher. Well, Selena, <laughs> thank you so much for being a guest on Wire People Into That and doing a little interrobang interview with me about We Too, Essays on Sex Work and Survival. I am so happy that we got to connect through this project and um, I hope it, uh, I hope we get to connect and uh, collaborate in the future on, you know, literature and art and the revolution. Yes, always happy. Uh, and thank you so much for having me and thank you for, you know, including me in the book. Um, can't of wait course. till everybody's able to read all of our beautiful works. Hell yes. Thanks, Selena. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 